This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. afternoon whatever the fuck time of day it is welcome back everybody it has been a while it has been two weeks since i have done one of these things and well actually has it it has been two weeks yes it's been two weeks so the reason it has been two weeks is because i was really busy on book tour stuff my book value economics study of identity now a thanks to you guys a two-time number one bestseller on amazon in two different categories as i mentioned earlier Absolutely amazing results, and we've sold almost 300 copies by this point, probably more at this point. The reviews have been fantastic. Only a couple people have finished by this point, so it's been kind of, you know, slow trickle of rolling in because obviously it's a 270-page book. It's not like a short thing by any metric, but a lot of people have been giving me great feedback. A lot of people seem to like it at this point, which is good, and, you know, had some, you know, constructive criticism here and there, but overall the feedback has been good, which has been, which is awesome. I don't think it's bad. So it's not overtly terrible, which is a victory in and of itself. So I was busy. I was back home in Ohio. I was doing all that stuff. I was in Cleveland. I was in Columbus. I was seeing everybody. I was seeing family I hadn't seen in a while, seeing friends I hadn't seen in a while, some going back to probably pre-COVID since I had seen them, which is just insane thinking about that at this point. But so I was back doing that. It was great. It was wonderful. I had a, I had, I truly had a fantastic time doing all of that, uh, all of that stuff back and home in Ohio, all that other good thing, which was, it was, it was incredible. It was a very, very fun time to be home, to be with people that actually you give a fuck about and everything in terms of that. But now back to business. So to follow up the, um, these, I would say the, God, I've, I really fumbled that up. Uh, so I, I, so to follow up value economics, this, the big, big, banana that I released a couple weeks ago. Now I think probably, what has it been? A little over a week ago, like a week and a half ago at this point. So um, to follow that up, I wanted to do a post about some topics generally that are placed inside of the book that not really have a specific name to them, kind of tying it all together into one thing. And I said, okay, what is that thing going to be? And this is a topic that gets about talked about, excuse me, a lot, very frequently by a lot of people in our social media world, especially in the male social media world as I've seen. And again, I'm open to the possibility that's seen in a lot of women, but I think men talk about these things like ambition and career development, success and everything. And there are a lot of successful women that do a lot of this. Whitney Wolf is one of these people. Uh, Sarah Blakely is one of these people. A lot of people in the women's sphere really kind of talk about these things a lot in terms of success, averageness, the whole thing. But I really, really think there's a lot of men out there that are looking to hear 
an alternative to the bullshit, in my opinion, it is bullshit, that is pushed in a lot of these spheres. So without further ado, I want to kind of just get right into it. It's going to be kind of a meandering post. I don't know how it's going to work, but I guess we'll see. That's the fun of doing these things. So after two weeks, let's get back to it. Some, and I would argue most, truths are hard to hear. This is because in our world full of embellishment and excess, truth disrupts our very reality. It spits in the face of all that we have known to be our world, all the false knowledge that we have falsely thought to have absorbed. But they are necessary, super necessary, as the great and powerful Jorge Masvidal would say. They are necessary because you must be able to create a reality that is actually real. They are necessary because you can make then constructive steps towards things that will actually help. They are necessary because they are the only way we can ensure that anything that we ever do matters. Earlier this year, I joined an online men's group that is run by a well-known podcaster and men's improvement content creator. I think very highly of this individual. He does not fall into that bucket of people that I mentioned earlier. He's only in his early 30s, but he has already been doing this type of work for nearly half of his life. He's far from an overnight success. He's worked his ass off to get to where he is, and many people, myself certainly included, respect him immensely for it. Particularly in the field of men's content, his perspective on many issues, including relationships, status, and appeal, are incredibly refreshing. It's a large reason why so many young men, including me, are flocking to him. He's one of the few that know they know aren't feeding him the aforementioned lies about the way that things are. In joining this men's group, it wasn't just a typical, I'm allowing you to associate with me to so pay me X amount of dollars personal network either. In this personal network, you had to buy a product that automatically conveyed, a physical product by the way, not an NFT or whatever the fuck, even though he does have those, that automatically conveyed that you were serious about taking your life seriously. You had to contribute. In his own words, this is not an orphanage. This is the Justice League. Every man inside our exclusive network had a Liam Neeson-esque particular set of skills, and I guess I fit in that, I don't know where I fit in that, but I, I don't know, I, write, I wrote a book, so maybe it's inside of there, but anyways. He and the other founding members expected you to show those skills for the good of the group, and he was very firm about this. Additionally, there was to be a certain code of conduct for how we acted within that group. No one was allowed to use typical social media ads. We all had to use our given birth names. Any complaining or dissuading of the other men in the group was not tolerated. Any weakness in terms of not giving full effort or not meeting expectations were dealt with swiftly and promptly. This group was purposeful. There was no room for anyone who did not live up to that purpose, or did not want to live up to that purpose. While I don't want to use the specific slogan for the group, it basically came down to this. A network of men that were driven to be exceptional. That was the goal of the group, to form the modern-day version of the Men's Justice League. They were supposed to be experts from every field of their career, every walk of life, every skin color, every religion. We were supposed to band together, to take on the world and show other the path, others the path to show how it could be done. The goal of the group was not, set, was not to set the expectation. The goal of the group was to blow past what everyone thought that the expectation was. The goal of the group was to create our own. But goals this ambitious must be perfectly executed. There must not be a single weak link. All oars have to be rowing in the same direction. Therefore, according to the slogan of this group, every man must be exceptional. There must be none that deviate. We must all be in or the whole operation plummets. Everyone fails the test. Just like Navy SEAL boat crews and gangbangs, everyone must just be all in. And this group 
failed that test. I am not an exceptional man. Many of these men are not exceptional either. Only very few can genuinely state that they are, because that is what exceptionalism is. That is the true cost of greatness. There cannot be a lot of great people, because that would deflate the whole purpose of greatness. There cannot be a group of men that are all exceptional, because everything eventually stratifies out, even in exceptional groups. So, take a great company, for example, like J.P. Morgan Chase. J.P. Morgan is supposed to be home to the, quote, best talent in the banking and financial industries in the world. And it is. But the question we must ask when related to J.P. Morgan itself is this. What happens when you put a lot of the, quote, best people in one place? The answer is that the same thing happens when the, quote, best people are not in a certain place. They sort themselves out by default. No matter what the sample is, there is an inertia and motivation about that sample that remains constant throughout all of it. This is a very curious thing. When you think of the concept, you would never think it could possibly make sense. Why wouldn't everyone just stay at the same level of greatness that they were when they entered the community of other, quote, great people? So, let's go back to the community I joined. The majority of them, largely, are average in most areas of their life. They don't really have a lot going on. They're not like the guy who organized it and the select few that have helped him expand it. They're largely regular. I am the exact same as all of them. I am not in any of those things either. That wouldn't be telling myself the truth, either. This led to both a sense of disappointment and confusion. And, even though I haven't explicitly asked, and no wonder, right? I think a lot of those men, if speaking truthfully, would as well. This is not what I, or any of the group that entered into this medium, came to that group for. We came for something else. Something greater than what we found. A lot of them, if I had to guess, feel a little bit cheated both by what they have and what they have not seen. I found myself into a whirlwind of emotions, and I didn't know what to think. A lot is said in the current culture, especially the masculine culture, as I mentioned earlier, about averageness. Even if you aren't a guy, you've probably seen this shit once or twice. There are hundreds, and probably many more than that, of social media accounts, quote, gurus, and quote, influencers that constantly peddle the same type of bullshittery and nonsense. We're constantly told and beaten over the head with these types of things. Be obsessed or be average is the favorite of my least favorite person on earth, Grant Cardone. He even wrote a book about it and sold it for a ridiculously high price, that pompous fuck. What this mindset continues to tell all of us, and again, in my personal experience, many more men than women, is that if we are not exceptional, if we are not great, if we are not absolutely the top of the food chain in one way or another, that we have somehow wasted our lives. It would be better if we didn't exist at all. We're somehow insignificant if we don't get the opportunity to do so. Anything less than what these people conveniently tell us to reach is somehow the doldrums of the worst possible bowels of human existence you can imagine. And it's not hard to buy into this. I mean, being great is awesome. We see so many great things all the time. It is what our social media feeds are curated to. It's, it is naturally what we're drawn to. When we see a beautiful person walking by, we stop and look at them. When we see a successful startup IPO, we want to model our startup after their business model and culture. When we see anyone doing anything outrageously creative and successful, we want to run towards it as quickly as we can, possibly to attempt to ride that high within our own lives. But is this right? I don't think, contrary to what the majority of the culture, and men of it in particular, tends to believe, that it is. In fact, I think it's the exact opposite. I think that this notion is incredibly wrong and destructive. I used to not think this way. 
I used to be one of the people who would hop on the bandwagon, say my piece about what I was doing to quote crush it, and then go about my day doing absolutely nothing of the sort, feeling more and more like a piece of dog shit as the clock ticked and ticked away. To say that it was a sad state of mind would be a tremendous understatement. In my opinion, this notion of a rejection of averageness leads us to create narratives about ourselves and our lives that are A, not true, and B, counterproductive to living and acting out a narrative of actual success. The reality is, averageness cannot be rejected because most of our lives are, quote, average in some way or another. The proof is in the pudding. When we examine our lives, there is no way we can be excellent in everything, because reality dictates that we, must be, that we can be excellent at very few things, if any things at all. So, given that, two questions must be asked. Why does this happen, and how do we deal with that? I believe that the genesis of both answers lies in something that is called the Law of Averages. This is what we will use to deconstruct and take down the absurd notion of the be obsessed or be average mindset. But there are some things we must clean up first. This is not a call to strive to do anything great in life. To not strive, excuse me, to do anything great in life. You should absolutely go out into the world and seek your full potential. You should absolutely work your ass off to become the best version of yourself. You should absolutely strive to live the most productive life for yourself and those you care for in each and every second of your life, no matter what that life entails. But I also think that average people are getting too much of a bad rap. If most people are average, as we will soon see, then I don't think it's very nice to demean the majority of people in our society. And I don't think it's very accurate either. The reality is, the lives of most of these people live are fine lives. They're good lives. But due to the bullshit lie that is being passed down to our generation by people who want to make cheap money off of quick and instinctual likes and clicks, this is getting lost in the sauce. It's time that we find said sauce and begin to guzzle it down. To do this, we must go over what the law of averages states, why it applies to mostly everything at every time, and what we should do about this evidence that we've gathered in order to improve, live better lives, and seek greater fulfillment within them. So before we begin to Grant Cardone and your shitty sales books, this is for you. Maybe that I've actually written a book now, maybe he'll finally respond to me. I feel like I've called him out so many times in this podcast. I don't know. We will, uh, we'll see, I guess. Very, very interesting. Okay. The law of averages is a relatively simple concept, but it gets harder when you extrapolate that concept out to the non-statistical realm. To start, let's begin in that statistical realm. The law of averages states that, over time, the number of experiments run over a given sample will automatically and naturally regress to the desired mean of that sample. There are deviations to this, obviously, but there are, as the law states, very rare. They don't happen often because that is not what happens over a recurring amount of time when the same experiment is run over and over. Things always change even when you are in a controlled environment. The easiest example of this that I can think of is a coin flip. There are two options in flipping a coin, heads and tails. A coin can only come up on one side, heads or tails. There is no possibility of it coming up on any other side because only one side can be a possibility in a coin flip. So let's say you flip the coin once. It lands on heads. That means, for that duration of the experiment, the probability is 100% heads for further predictions and analysis of that experiment. But we must ask ourselves, will it hold? The definitive answer is that we don't know, and we can never know for sure. 
you could flip that coin 99 more times and get he get heads every time. That's certainly a possibility. But is it likely? That answer is no, because the probability, as we mentioned before, of that happening is 50% for a flip of a coin. Odds are, after a while, the average result of your coin flips will be around that 50% likelihood. The reason for this is that, after a certain number of attempted experiments at a high scale, things naturally pull away from the outliers and towards the center. The extremes get diminished, and the averages get amplified. Now, think about reality and try to apply it to anything, any other thing in the world. What would you notice? Well, unless you're a regular 4chan contributor or read more Mother Jones than the average bear, you'd probably see that a lot of what occurred in the coin flip example can and does occur elsewhere across nearly everything. You'd see that there is one common and logical conclusion that you can draw from all of your efforts. Everything regresses to a mean, and everything is a bell curve. Everything. Especially pertaining to people. The most complicated sample size of everything. A coin flip is easy to measure. It's an inanimate object. There are only two outcomes. Only one of those outcomes will happen when a particular ac action happens to it. That particular action is only one thing in nature. There can be no other possibilities because no other possibilities exist. It is there for one purpose and for one outcome. With humans, however, this is very far from the case. Humans are the most complex creatures to ever exist on the face of the Earth, and our brains make this a reality. You cannot take any one human and automatically state that in their outcome will be one of two things. Every human must be treated as an individual first. Individuals, by the nature of the word itself, are all different. There is no way to tell a human being that their path is set in stone because all humans can and should be treated differently based on who they are as a person. Anything else, any other treatment that could be enforced, is, by definition, tyranny. All individuals cannot be the same. That's been established. This means that, in terms of human ability and competence, we will all begin to naturally stratify as we get exposed to and learn various fields and vocations. Overall, when you lump that together, you get the sum of a human being. You get to peer under the hood and see who they actually are like as a whole person. Not how they would choose to see themselves, not how you would prefer to see them, but how they actually are. This is a very liberating thing, but also a very scary thing. Because under the hood, we may not always like what we see. The reality is that there will be some people at all sections of the bell curve of humanity, all parsed into bigger and smaller sections depending on what we're looking at. There will be very few exceptional people. There will, conversely, be a few really shitty people. Most of the sample will be lumped somewhere in the middle of these two outliers, with the number most likely getting bigger and the curve getting higher the more you go into the middle of the graph and sample, respectively. And this might seem like bizarre rhetoric to some. It might seem very foreign to that group of people because, for the longest time, they were told and have continued to have been told the exact opposite. You're special. You can have everything. You're perfect just the way you are. You can do, be and do anything you want. As long as it makes you happy, anything goes. Just as long as you self-actualize, achieve enlightenment, and become the very best version of yourself, you can achieve everlasting happiness and fulfillment, right? Well, no, that's not actually how it works. All of those concepts are relatively new innovations of human psychology. They mostly didn't exist for the vast majority of human history before their creation. And why? Well, because it simply couldn't exist. Because there needed to be exceptional people. There needed to be a lot of average people supporting those exceptional people. And there needed to be a group on the bottom that needed to be helped by everyone else. Everyone could not have been exceptional because not everyone had the ability to be exceptional. 
Think about it like a basketball team. You have your one or two star players per team. You have your role players. You have the dudes that ride the bench. Are there people on that team that are more important than others? Absolutely. But does that make them unimportant? Absolutely not. Everyone has a role to play in every single structure in all different types of organizations. We must not diminish their roles, but we cannot pretend that there isn't a difference between them either. That mindset is detrimental to everyone, to the star player as much as to the player that rides the bench. We need these lines of demarcation as a reminder of what roles our society are and should be. We need to know who can fill which roles in society. Comparative value advantage, which states that all types of values and what those values do, should they be good values, proves this point. For the longest time, this is accepted as necessary, and if I can be so bold, liberating reality of society. We all have our limitations. We all fall victim to the standards set by our higher powers and the people that are truly better than we are. So why is it not anymore? It turns out there is a simple answer to this simple question. And that answer is excess. Excess, as we've talked about an innumerable amount of occasions at this point, has perverted and distorted our culture in many sickening ways. The most important form of this manifests in how we see other people. Excess has made us hyper-focused on our culture. The main focus on that hyper-focus is on the upper limits of what people can do. Their highest of highs, their biggest of all their accomplishments, all of the gold that they store in their proverbial safes. In the past, this was strictly an impossibility. We could have never dreamed of seeing what we now see because we cannot dream of what we do not find possible. But now, everything is possible, at least in our minds. We've been red-pilled. The reason for this, for our excess, is because of access. When we can see our full potential, or at least the potential of others to achieve their quote full potentials, we automatically have access because of their excess. This revelation, these things that we hold ever so dearly to us, becomes our model of how we pursue living and quote thriving, or at least our skewed definitions of both. But human beings, other than succumbing to excess because of access easier than we would like to admit, are also mostly honest. This is also part of the trap. Because even though we see people doing incredible things, even though we see them achieving their high of heights, the things that we can only imagine doing, we also realize one thing. We're just like them. Deep down, at least in my opinion, we realize that the people who see all over the world of doing all the, quote, special things that we wish to be doing, when you boil them down, are just like us. They're not all that special. They're just mostly average, plain Jane and Joes who happen to find a particular comparative value advantage and exploit it to benefit them. We realize that they were once like us, and that we could be just like them. But this unfortunately does not help us. It doesn't help us at all, actually. Instead, and contrary to what you might think, it actually makes us feel more shitty. The exposure to this gap within our species of human beings that are indeed exceptional versus ourselves, who we view right or wrong as not, makes us feel like dog shit a lot of the times. We dig ourselves into our own proverbial holes to avoid looking at what makes us feel like shit. We feel, upon seeing these elevated beings, that we're not doing enough in our personal lives, that we're not doing as much as we need to, that we need to be obsessed or be average. We drive ourselves into a hole in the ground to chase that thing without even knowing what that thing is, why we would want that thing, and how we can get to that thing. We want on our hedonic treadmills until we pass out from exhaustion. We take stock of our lives, which could be quite full, and realize in our make-believe horror that we aren't what other people have, and we don't have what they have. We become bitter and resentful towards ourselves and celebratory and ebullient about everyone else. We sacrifice our own life and its achievements 
and wonder at the wonders at the altar of those who believe we have it better than us. The conceptualization, ugh, geez, holy fuck. The uh, conceptualization of the world, the warping of our minds, takes the law of averages and completely inverts it. Instead of seeing people in a realistic sense and taking them as they most likely are, we completely flip it and the math that it provides us on its head. We only see two groups of people instead of three, those who are, quote, crushing it and those who are failures. What this does, contrary to what we initially see, is create a mindset of condescension and elitism on one end and an act of hopelessness and resentment on the other inside of our own heads. On one hand, we immediately begin to view everyone who doesn't match our absurd expectations as less than. We demean them, call them names, and make sure they know how much they're failing our narcissistic and entitled versions of what we deem them to be. Our tyrannical opposition to their very nature of being must state that they are either completely subjective to our whims of what we wish that they would be, or completely cast out from the kingdom in their entirety. On the other hand, we automatically become despairing, despondent, and weak. We do this to ourselves. We hold ourselves to the expectations that we have now newly formulated in our heads, and we see that we ourselves are failures within that parameter. We see that we are the people that we despise so greatly. So, naturally, we begin to hate ourselves. We begin to see that everything we do is in vain. We cannot escape the hedonic treadmill of hell, the one that is leading us off the cliff and taking us nowhere at all simultaneously. We begin to see that, at the end of the day, everything that we do, and all that we are, is for nothing. We begin to realize that, even if we try our hardest, we will still never measure up. This crushes our dreams, our hopes, and our souls. Jordan Peterson has rightly stated that an abundance of inequality destabilizes a society at its core, and this is correct. As we've discussed with the law of averages, inequality is necessary to any model. But should that get too distorted, too thrown out of whack, then bad shit starts to happen. The law of eternal averages, the one that applies to people, is no different. But as we will learn, the law of eternal averages applies not just to people, but to everything. For that reason, we turn to the man who has explained averageness in a better context than anyone I've ever heard before. And no, it's not the first guy. To answer the question of the law of eternal averages and why it applies to nearly everything, let's start with the person who thinks in exact opposition to our theory. Grant Cardone is the biggest purveyor of the obsessed or average mindset. Grant Cardone is one of the biggest business influences on Instagram, boasting millions of followers, tens of millions of impressions, and so much content that it would make any pre-20s TikToker blush. Grant Cardone is most famous for being famous. No one can really tell what he does, at least from a glance. That's how all these people make their money, you see. It's never about what they do. It's never about the goods or products or services that they produce. No, that would be too hard. It's all about how they act and what they say. That's what matters. That's how they really make their money. However, under the surface of Instagram Reels and intense tweets, Grant Cardone does have an expertise, at least on paper. 
Grant Cardone is famous for being a real estate mogul. He owns, on paper, hundreds of millions of dollars in properties. He has an amazing ability to connect seemingly every question he has asked with the answer of real estate, no matter the context of the question at hand. The second tier of Grant Cardone's business, however, is the one that he really makes his money from. The second tier of Grant Cardone is employing cheap, hungry, and mostly male labor to push books on real estate sales and the mother of them both, real estate sales. Grant Cardone is the epitome of excess culture. He took a thing that he was good at, selling real estate, and blew that up into a monster beyond anyone's comprehension to make himself famous for something completely unrelated to that thing. He's no different than Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian got famous for fucking a mid-tier rapper on a shitty early 2000s video camera. Now she advises Donald Trump on criminal justice reform. It's the same business model, only with some more booty cheese and slightly less Botox injections. Although like Kim Kardashian, or also like Kim Kardashian, excuse me, Grant Cardone has continued his excess by making people feel like shit, that they're not worth shit, unless they have, been, they have conveniently, exactly what he has. Be obsessed or be average. Be like me or be less than me. He has, and he continues to walk over everyone that his attempts to convince him otherwise. Because to Grant Cardone, he is an elevated individual. He deserves to be there. You deserve to be elsewhere. However, this all falls apart when you realize that this is all built on a lie. Because for the vast majority of, of his life, Grant Cardone was just an ordinary piece of shit like you and I. He was a broke addict who didn't have two nickels to rub together before he discovered real estate investing in Instagram. Cardone, to his credit, has talked about this before and has been open about how much his life sucked ass before he cleaned himself up. But does that give him an excuse to totally flip the tables now? No, it doesn't. Think of it this way. If Grant Cardone lived half his life as the king of Instagram, but lived half his life as a fucking train wreck, what does that equate to? It's far from simple math, and actually it's not math at all, but it all spells out average. This is why the mindset of the be obsessed or be average crowd is always wrong, and the law of eternal averages is always right. No one can be a maximizer because no one can live a fully maximized life. I'd be willing to bet that Grant Cardone doesn't have all of his shit together still in other areas of his life. Go watch the Jordan Belford interview for even a glimpse of that. His family life could be a mess. He could have a shitty relationship with his wife or his kids. His employees could hate him. He could probably feel, and probably does feel, very unsatisfied on the inside, because most of the people that are wired like him do. We only have a certain number of resources to deploy at any given time. This is what value economics, out now, proves to be true. You can only devote your time and energy to a certain number of things because only a certain number of things at a time matter. No one is totally uncapped potential. Along the way, some things have to be given. This is what no one talks about. Mostly because if they did, it would probably feel like a lot of bad shit start to spring to the surface. And when we deploy those resources, we naturally do not deploy resources into any other thing that we would be pouring them into. So, therefore, those things are worse than averages. They're non-starters. They're doing nothing for you in quite literally every sense of the word. Nothing ever moves forward or in a positive direction without a minimum level of investment behind it. Investing in anything is the key to get them to work for you instead of against you. This is the truth. You cannot be obsessed and live a fulfilling life. The reason is because being obsessed and living a fulfilling life are inherently in the opposite of one another. Succumbing to excess, overcompensating in one area, will naturally leave you blinded and withdrawn in another, and probably more than another at that. On top of that, 
Obsession is defined by one thing, the chase of something else. Drug addicts are obsessed with their next fix. Success addicts are obsessed with the next bit of success that they can have, the next sale, the next promotion, the next plaque, whatever. This notion to keep pushing forward runs on one thing and one thing only. A sense of lack. A sense of unfulfillment. A sense of wistfulness about what you should be and should do to obtain that one more thing. These people are both exhilarated and afraid of this possibility because they don't know what to do if they figure out there's a legitimate alternative to the thing that constantly plagues them. So where does this leave us? Well, if we do nothing, if we keep pursuing this, we all know where it eventually leads. Down a rabbit hole of unrelenting and barely cloaked misery. If we see this as the only alternative that we have, this can and should terrify us in the next week. But what if it isn't? What if, instead of demonizing the other side of the argument, it, like seemingly everyone does about literally everything that they don't agree with in our current culture, we begin to look in to see the advantages that they have? What if we realize that we've been lied to, that we've been sold a false bill of goods? Unfortunately for all of us, most of our discourse is so ideologically driven and rigid that we can become sucked in enough to perpetuate it across our broader spheres of influence. Maybe, in fact, being average isn't a bad thing. Maybe, instead, we realize that it could potentially have some benefits to it. Maybe, as we'll see, it does apply to nearly everything we do at any given time to see what is going on within our lives. It may hard, be hard to believe, but just because it's hard to believe doesn't make it any less real. The best defense I've seen of average people comes from a very non-average person, and quite possibly my favorite person, Mark Manson. Mark Manson was the first person in the broader and more popular culture that I can remember that didn't just avoid talking about success, but actively supported and related to average people in a way that I didn't think was possible to do while still making a living in the self-help space. Manson, being like any good entrepreneur and thought leader, saw a gap in the market, seized it with his bare hands, and wrote it to the tune of millions of dollars and worldwide superstardom. He didn't just seize the opportunity, he succeeded in driving the point home because he realized he believed in it. Manson's main premise to his argument was that being average was nothing to be ashamed of because all people suck at most things. That is not an absolute, at least I don't think. I think that if everyone sat down and truly analyzed all the amazing things that humans can and have done over the course of our history, we would be hard-pressed to find ourselves even remotely average compared to most. Not a lot of people can be an elite-level clarinet player. Not a lot of people have even clicked up a clarinet in their lives to begin with. Not a lot of people can do most anything at any time, no matter what domain that is. If you really look through the breadth of human potential, you will begin to realize that all of these things are true. But as you may have guessed by now, this point is kind of depressing. If we are built as humans to be limited, to suck at most things, then what is the point of the toil and the struggle of life? If we're not going to be good at things, a lot of things, then why try to even find our place in any of those things? Manson has an answer for that, too, in all of his books. And a point that sounds eerily similar to someone who wrote a book about value economics and may or may not have stolen quite a bit from him, that bastard, out now, Amazon, Manson suggested that, instead of dreading specializing in some things in your life, you should be encouraged to do so. Only through the expressed acceptance of your limitation as a human being can you truly find your potential and fulfillment in other things that you're not average at. This is, hopefully, why people pick the jobs that they pick, the people that they marry, whether they wish to have children or not, which organizations that you volunteer for, and everything else that takes up a lot of time, money, and effort to complete. 
Because at the end of the day, to use Manson's phrase for it, there are only a certain amount of fucks you can give in life. You cannot be all things to all people. That's a very dangerous notion that stems from the well of narcissism. You must choose. You always choose. A man that values everything values nothing. And a man that truly values nothing is a very dangerous one indeed. So what should we do then about the other average things that we are average or most likely suck at? Forget them. That's what. Forgetting the things that you've tried, sucked at, and the realization of both is a very useful process for both your values and your life as a whole. You must try hard at things. You have to beat your head against a brick wall repeatedly in order to obtain something of value and give your best effort at doing so. But after you break your face and bloody your shirt and realize it's getting you nowhere, it would be wise to scrape your head off that brick wall and move on to something else. Staying in one spot with no value reaped over a long period of time will get you nowhere. In fact, it will be much worse. It will demoralize you and make you feel truly like a piece of shit. You will feel that you've wasted an immense amount of time because you have wasted an immense amount of time. Trying something to see if it works is not a waste of your effort and time. But doing something over and over again in hopes that you will somehow get it right after you know that you should be moving on is pure and unbridled delusion. You should be wise to remove yourself from that situation and move on to the next thing, whether that's a girl on hinge or a business venture you're trying to start. Diminishing returns of value, the art of settling, is the key to realizing your limitations and pivoting to where they are holding you back a lot less. Finally, picking and choosing the selected list of things to be unaverage in is the key to actually being good at something. People who spread themselves too thin, who go a millimeter in a million directions, never truly get good at anything. Don't let social media feeds and tweets fool you. These people are not experts at all of these things. They just end up sucking at all of them. When you don't choose, when you're always treading water, you never end up getting good at anything. You just end up at the mercy of all those things, being pulled around in, your, in a horrendous form of mental and emotional slavery. It drains and exhausts you until you finally relent to it, giving your soul away to all those meaningless things that they can tear you open in various ways. This is obviously not a very good alternative. In fact, I would argue that it's the worst alternative because no one wants this. No one truly wants to be someone who is bounced around like a beach ball at a concert, completely at the mercy of the whims of other people. No one wants to be robbed of their sovereignty and forced on the weak side of the toughness gap. But there's a way out of the void. The nihilism buck must stop. And it must stop with you. Like most things, we can take hard truths one of two ways. The first option, and the worst one, is to ignore them. We choose this path more often than the other one to everyone's detriment. We push things under the rug. We think we can always fit just one more thing underneath, that we can store one more skeleton in our closet. We think that ignoring the problem will not just fix the problem, not just tell us what we don't want to hear, but, in fact, we will be better off doing so. Better to not look at it than force us to change and adapt. This, obviously, is the wrong approach. The first thing you should do in this, in most every scenario, is accept it for what it is. You will suck at most things that you attempt in this life. You will be average at very few, good at even fewer, and above average in the most minuscule amount possible should you be looking at the thing with utmost honesty and ob objectivity possible. In addition to that, 
know that work must come in order to climb that ladder. The great fathers are not great fathers right out of the gate, even though they may be, and probably are, some natural proclivities towards being so. You must work at these things constantly and relentlessly. You must breathe, live, sleep, and shit, whatever that thing is, constantly. That is the true cost of greatness. No one is great by accident. You must have unbridled and unmitigated focus on whatever that thing is to have a chance to be great at that one thing. I believe this factor is the one that scares people the most deep down. They know that in order to achieve something of magnitude, a vast majority of sacrifice must be made not only in the pursuit of that something, but in the rejection of all other things that could impede your progress toward approaching that something. We have the natural inclination towards pleasing people. Reciprocity is the thing that has advanced the human species more than anything in my imagination. It's ingrained in our biology to be people-pleasers because the people-pleasers are the ones that have had the most benefit over expanses of time throughout the history of our civilized world. But what most people don't realize is that on the flip side of this is liberation. Allow these two factors, your own limitations and the sacrifice of all other things except for the ones that truly matter, to liberate you from wasting your time and your life. Allow yourself to suck. Allow yourself to be terrible. It is what most people are terrified to face, and it's also why most people live their lives with some degree of unfulfillment towards something that they should be never be unfulfilled about. However, you also need to allow yourself to express truly the things on the opposite ends of both. Take great pleasure and pride in the things that you do choose. When you think about it deeply, why would you not? They are the things you've chosen, after all. They're what you orbit around. They're what you have seen as valuable in your life and worth orienting that the other things in your life contains within. They're special to you, so it would be to your benefit to treat them if they were such things, and peace will be sure to follow. Additionally, we must realize that the issue of near-universal averageness runs through every single person, even the ones that are exceptional in one area or another. Just because they're proving and showing that they're exceptional doesn't mean that they're different from you and I. It only means they're choosing to show what they can do to the world. Something that, if done correctly, should be no problem. We should all appreciate greatness in all forms, and seeing it publicly can prove to a great number of people that something can, indeed, be done about it, and that the possibility is ours for the taking should we choose to seize the opportunity. But the opposite is also true. Along the way, especially if you're fortunate enough to become very skilled and non-average at something, you'll begin to spot people who are not as attuned to you at that certain skill more in the open. You will see them struggle and fail very often. You will see them fail to live up to your inflated expectations due to the high expectations of yourself. There are generally two ways that you can look at this. The common way, the one provoked by the be obsessed or be average crowd, is to pity and shame them. To say that they aren't working hard enough. To say that they're somehow beneath you and, be, and because they aren't as refined in a certain area as you are. And this is wrong, obviously. This is one of the many reasons why this crowd of folks, for the most part, sucks absolute cock. They suck absolute cock because they act like absolute cocks, especially to the group of people they condescend towards. However, the alternative route not only combats this, but also gives away some of our beloved reciprocity that we talked about earlier. Sympathy. When you see people who may not be the absolute best at something, but they're trying, you should commend them for trying their asses off should they be trying their asses off. Remember, the only way that you become great is by working very hard at it. It doesn't happen by accident. So when someone is on the way to try to figure something out but isn't quite there yet, the effort itself is highly commendable. 
not a lot of people have the balls and or, and or ovaries, to, or I would say balls or ovaries, not and or, or ovaries to put themselves out there for the world to see. It's a very intimidating and oftentimes downright scary thing to do. Think before you judge that person. Know this may or may not be the thing that truly drives them. Think to yourself that and all re other realities, that they're just trying to figure it out, just like you with all your various shit you're trying to do and probably sucking at in the process. Reciprocity is the linchpin that holds all of this shit together. Put yourself in their shoes. Think of them the same way you would want to think of you would want them to think of you. There are no A's for effort in life, but there are no A's in general without effort preceding them. Work always become comes before results. It always must be derived from something of value. Figuring out that something of value is the hard part. Acting on it and working towards it is a grind that hardly ever ceases. So when you see someone trying, appreciate the effort. Try to help them. Try to get them to make a decision quickly so, in the best case, they can move on with their lives. That, at the end of the day, might be the best thing you can give to someone in that situation. Finally, one thing that is undoubtedly useful and that was articulated very well by Jordan Peterson in his second book is this. Take great pleasure and pride in being an idiot. And let me explain. Having a beginner's mind, especially in a culture where seemingly everyone knows everything, hint there is very little of either actually going on, by the way, is a very valuable tool because it allows those people to think about the problem or issue without fear of being judged. Typically, whenever someone is a, quote, expert in something, they fear being wrong more than they fear getting things actually right, which is an absolute ca catastrophe if done at scale. And this is the primary problem with our ruling an expert class. They can't admit their wrongs, so they perpetuate that wrongness under the rest of society to preserve their titles as the smartest people in the room. This is a mistake born fully out of arrogance and pride, and one that is not remotely worth pursuing. It is not wrong to be an actual expert, because they're very good for society. They help show us the way and point us in the right direction. But also included in that rule of Peterson's is that social institutions can decay if not properly maintained, which is what largely has happened to expertise at large across the world. The people that are the, quote, experts across various domains have forgotten that, even though they have earned that title, there is still a lot to learn. They still need to improve and get better because the things they specialize in are always changing. The maximizer mindset is the epitome of this movement. Obsessed people, or maximizers, are largely unhappy. The reason for this, in my opinion, is because they believe that they have everything else figured out. They become a slave to their own greatness. They think that because they have, quote, mastered something, that there is nothing else to do but rule over that thing until they keel over in a grave. This is a sad existence. It should be envied by no one. Rather, it should be pitied. In maxing out their lives, they have to live with the reality that they have maxed themselves out. Do not be that unwise to think that you know everything. You don't. And that's a good thing. Not knowing things always means that you have room to grow, to escape averageness in a minuscule amount of cases, and to revel in it in others. A big part of living a fulfilling life is knowing when to settle. But another big part of life is knowing what to truly give a shit about. Reminding yourself that can occasionally be a dumb occasionally being a dumbass is a good way to go about it as any. Being extraordinary is wonderful because the extraordinary can push us to new heights. But being average is underrated because we're all mostly average in most things. The demonization of the average lifestyle is the demonization of humankind and all that we've achieved. The extremes drive us forward, but the average stabilizes the extremes. 
While we all should strive to find our comparative value advantage, we cannot succumb to diminishing returns of value by refusing to settle things we don't value as much as we think or want them to. A large number of people who understand this is a true melting pot. A large number of people who don't understand this is a condescending and destabilized mess. And I believe we all know which one most of us prefer. Except for Grant Cardone. And Lord knows you don't need any more of those. All right, everybody, that is the welcome back post in the book. So we, again, let me know what you think about this. Let me know what you think about the book, about any other things that, you know, have been going on inside of the Don't Do This Media, I don't know, the Untouchable Maybach Empire, the Untouchable Don't Do This Media Empire, anything that you can provide feedback, you can buy the book on Amazon. Again, Value Economics, Study of Identity, out now, two times number one bestseller across the world. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting, and have a great day. I'll talk to you guys next week. Well, actually, I lied. I'll talk to you guys the same day, but in, and I'll talk to you guys the same day. I'll see you guys in a couple of minutes. Bye-bye. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?